We're going to pray now as we come to the Lord before we read his word together. Father, we thank you that every good and perfect gift is from above. And Lord, we confess that so often we take those gifts for granted. We enjoy the gifts, but we fail to acknowledge you as the gracious giver of them. And Lord, we are sorry. We thank you for the many good things you give us in life, for homes and families and jobs and health. Thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you today without fear for our lives. But above everything else, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving him to us for the greatest and most perfect gift from above. That he would come down into our world in order to lay down his life on the cross for our sake. Lord, please help us to remember that every blessing... Every good thing we experience in life comes to us through Christ. He's the fount of every blessing. And so, Lord, we ask that our hearts would be full to overflowing with gratitude and with praise. Lord, we pray today for the Makias, for David and for Binny, for their ministry in India. Father, we thank you for the many opportunities you gave them over Christmas to preach the gospel to people. Thank you for the, for the good numbers that gathered on Christmas Day. Thank you for the seven baptisms that were celebrated in the lead up to Christmas. Father, we give you praise for all that you're doing in and through that church. Father, we pray for them and with them for some of the challenges that they're facing at this time. We pray for some of the challenges with their, their wider family and with accommodation. We pray for them with the different temptations that they might be facing. We pray that you continue to protect them physically and spiritually. Give them all the grace and the wisdom they need to keep serving you faithfully. And Lord, as we pray for them, so we remember all of our missionaries. We thank you for the partnership we have in the gospel with them. Thank you that they too are committed to the same cause of seeing lives changed by Christ as they labor for you in a different corner of your global vineyard. Lord, we ask that they might know your rich blessing on their life this day. Lord, we give you thanks for the women's events on Tuesday evening. Thank you that the gospel was faithfully proclaimed. Lord, we pray that even now you'd be at work in the hearts of those who attended, bringing light to the darkness and helping them see and savor Jesus for themselves. And Lord, as we come to your word now, we... Recognize that we too need to hear you speak to us. We pray for your spirit of wisdom and revelation. We pray, Lord, that as these words are read, as they're explained to us, Lord, that we might think about them carefully in our hearts. And as we do, we ask that we might know you better and love you more. And we pray it all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. If you've got a Bible, it'd be good to get it out. Isaiah chapter 61, and David's going to read to us. So the reading is from Isaiah chapter 61. It's in two parts. It's one to three. And then you might want to find Matthew 4, verse 23. Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3, to start off with. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, 
and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So Matthew chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. (coughs) News about him spread all over Syria and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, David. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we come to your word with empty hands wanting to be filled. We come acknowledging our spiritual poverty, wanting to receive all the riches and all the many blessings that you promised to, to give to those who put their trust in you. So, Lord, pour out your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, writer um, Kathy Caprino on the Forbes website recently conducted a survey of her subscribers in which she'd asked the question, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? Well, the number one answer was probably, no surprise, happiness. Uh, but she made the following comment. This is what she, she wrote. The number one mentioned missing element, happiness, has become so hard to achieve and even harder to maintain. In my work with professional women, I've seen that happiness continually escapes them. First, they don't understand exactly what will make them happy. They just don't know themselves well at all. Secondly, they search outside themselves for happiness. In a job, a husband, a family, a title, a paycheck, fancy house. 
As a result, happiness is constantly out of their control and a perpetual moving target that never stands still long enough for them to grasp. I'm not saying that these things don't bring happiness. Of course they can. The key point is that if everything you're searching for remains outside of you, you'll always be chasing and scrambling. Now, that, as far as I'm aware, she's not a Christian, but some truth in what she was saying, which, which we'll come on to, because we're starting a new four-part series in the Beatitudes. I can look at the first two of these so this morning. But before we do that, it'll be good to, to understand a bit more about the meaning and the purpose of the Beatitudes. The name comes from the Latin word, Beatitude, which is translated in some Bibles as happy. But although that conveys some of the, the meaning of the word, it goes actually far deeper than that. Which is why blessed, which was read in our translation, which we normally use here, is a better translation. Happy is a subjective term. It's what we feel according to different situations in life, maybe even just what sort of day we're having. And as Kathy Caprio says, a lot of that is outside of our control. Whereas blessed is an objective description of the state of someone, how they are in the sight of God. It's actually something much more deep than what we think of normally as happiness. It's an inner peace of the soul from being in a right relationship with God. It's a joy of knowing that you are saved. On Tuesday, we have the funeral service of uh, Lillian Davis, who is a regular at the contact group on a, on a Wednesday. And the music that's been chosen uh, to go out to is the song Happiness by Ken Dodd, which some of you older members of the church might remember. Um, Ken Dodd was a Christian. And um, his faith can be seen in the description of happiness um, in the lyrics to the song. They, they go like this. Happiness, happiness, the greatest gift that I possess. I thank the Lord that I've been blessed with more than my share of happiness. To me, this old world is a wonderful place. I'm just about the luckiest human in the whole human race. I've got no silver. I've got no gold. But I've got happiness in my soul. We'll come back in a minute to, to look at what the Beatitudes are, but let's first just have a look at the context of where these come, because that will help us as we understand them. And if you look at um, verse 23 of the previous chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew, look um, what it says there. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. Now, if we go on to chapter 9, um, verse 35, look what we have there. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. Exactly the same words, the same thing repeated. And when you see that, it's a literary tool, if you like. It's often designed as a bookend, sandwiching something important between them. So what do we have in the middle? Between those two ends, we have chapters 5 and 7 of Matthew, which is all about Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And we also have in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus' miracles, including uh, miracles of healing and miracles of the calming of the storm. Well, so what, you might say? Well, the point is this, that Jesus' ministry, as was prophesied in Isaiah from the passage we heard read, was to preach and to heal. Uh, to teach about the coming of the kingdom 
and the way of the kingdom, but also to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And I guess the temptation is to focus more on one than the other, to say Jesus' teaching was all about um, the ethical teaching, the how we live, and ignore the supernatural. Or is it all about the supernatural and ignore the, the teaching, the commands about how we change our behavior? Well, it's both, of course, isn't it? It's the teaching and the healing, the way we live and the power to live. So although we'll be focusing for the next few weeks on the ethical teaching, the Beatitudes, we shouldn't forget as we do so that we need to depend on the power of Jesus in order to be the sort of people that he wants us to be. We're coming back to the Beatitudes and what are some of the key features of the Beatitudes? Well, first of all, they are present and future blessings. Look at the first blessing in um, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you look to the last one in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice the blessings described here are the same, the kingdom of heaven, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all the rest in between are future so they will be comforted, they will inherit the earth, they will be filled with righteousness, they will be shown mercy, they will see God, they will be called sons of God. The blessings are present and they're also future. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, you immediately enter his kingdom. You immediately receive all of his blessings. You receive comfort and mercy and righteousness right now. But there is also a future aspect to them because you will not receive it fully until the age to come. When Jesus comes again and when Jesus takes us to be with him, then we will see God clearly. Now we're told we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. In other words, Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own power. And we have a foretaste, an appetizer if you like, of that now, but we still look forward to the main course, the full banquet that is to come. The blessings are present and their future. But also, these blessings are not entry requirements to the kingdom, but a celebration of the work of God in us. In the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount generally, Jesus teaches his disciples about a way of living that is impossible to achieve in our own strength. We can't make ourselves meek and merciful. And it's when we realize that we come to the Lord in our weakness and ask him to change us. By the power of the Spirit, he does. And we'll see that more when we come on to the first one because the first stage in becoming a Christian is being poor in spirit. In other words, someone who recognizes their spiritual poverty, their, their need for God. Someone who's acknowledged their dependence on God's mercy. That Christ had to die on the cross for them. Someone who, who mourns their own sinfulness. And all these character traits we see in these Beatitudes, if you look ahead to them, they're not independent of each other. It's not that in the kingdom there are some who are poor in spirit, there are some who show mercy. Um, no. All those in the kingdom, to a certain degree, show all of these character traits. And as we read this list, if we are Christians, we should see something 
of these characteristics in ourselves. They won't be perfect. They won't be perfect this side of heaven. It's an ongoing work. But it gives us cause to celebrate the work of God in us. And our great desire is that these beautiful attitudes, as they're sometimes referred to, become ever more evident in our lives, like the fruit of the Spirit. Or thirdly, the the Beatitudes are also an invitation to enter the kingdom. In verse 1 of chapter 5, if you look there, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So the teaching is meant primarily for his disciples. They've already decided to, to give up everything and follow him. He's teaching them what life in his kingdom looks like. But what happens to the crowds, you might ask? Well, if you flick ahead to chapter 7, verse 28, we're told there, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So the crowds have, have followed, and they've listened in. And so in describing life in the kingdom, it's also an invitation to those who are not yet in the kingdom to enter in, to come and be a part of it. Which is what happens on a a Sunday, isn't it? We we gather together, uh, primarily as God's people, to worship him, to learn from him. But at the same time, everybody is welcome to come and join us. I expect there are visitors here this morning um, who are not yet Christians. But hopefully as you listen, as as you observe... Um, you too will want to accept Jesus' invitation to become a part of his kingdom and experience those blessings for yourself. Well, let's come to the first beatitude because it's in many ways a description of what it takes to become a Christian and to enter that kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, as it says here, to know that without Christ we have nothing, but in Christ, we have everything. To survive in a, in a material world, uh, we need money. We need money to, to buy food and clothes and somewhere to live. When people don't have money, and there may be many reasons for that, they, they try and find work to, to earn money, or they may apply for benefits. They may simply beg. But in whatever case, they need help. They cannot survive without it. And to be spiritually poor is likewise to accept we have nothing and we need help. But rather than material help, we need spiritual help. There's nothing in our lives, whether our moral living or our our good deeds, that make us worthy. But whereas there are measures of material poverty, i.e. if you cannot afford the basic needs of life, how do we measure spiritual poverty? Well, there's only one measure, and that is against God himself. Anything less than perfection is not acceptable to a perfect God. Now, there are two problems. First of all, most people don't measure themselves against God. And therefore, they think, actually, they're not too bad. Um, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm probably just about good enough to get into heaven if there is uh, heaven. And therefore they don't think, actually, they don't need any help. Then there are also those who 
they know they're not good enough. They, they have a poor opinion of themselves. They've got a low self-esteem. Um, but they don't ask for help either because they're, they're too proud to ask for help. In both cases, it's seen as a sign of weakness to ask for help. Um, it goes against everything our society stands for and values, doesn't it? You know, society values self-reliance, self-confidence, self-esteem. And if you haven't got those things, society says, well, get them. You know, believe in yourself more. Think more highly of yourself. Increase your, your self-esteem. Now, that's why sometimes people look down on Christians as those who need a crutch. Um, you heard that? Um, ever had that? Somebody say that to you? Isn't Christianity just, just for those who need a crutch? Well, it's a strange thing to say in many ways, isn't it? Because it implies that a crutch is a bad thing. Um, if you were to see somebody with a broken leg on crutches, would you mock them for that? You wouldn't say, uh, what do you need a crutch for? You can see they need a crutch, and that actually is a very useful thing for them. But that helps us understand the difference between those who are Christians and those who are not. Um, it's not that Christians are in any way better than those who are not. Um, Christians and non-Christians are both spiritually needy equally. The difference is that the Christian has acknowledged his need for help, and he's asked God for help. It's like um, when Liz um, broke her ankle on the mountain. Um, sorry to bring that up again, but it provides a great source of illustration. Um, now that situation, you've got two choices, haven't you? You accept you've got a problem, you call Mountain Rescue, you get helicoptered off the mountain, and you get your, your ankle sorted out. The other choice you've got is you say, I haven't got a problem. And you either crawl off the mountain in complete agony, or you just stay there and ultimately you freeze to death. God has so much to give. He wants to give us the kingdom of heaven. But to receive it, first of all, we need to admit we've got a problem. We need to admit that we are spiritually poor. And that means recognizing that even our good deeds are tainted in some way by sin. As it says in Isaiah, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Even those good things we do are like filthy rags. It means we know we are spiritually sick. As Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill, those who admit they are ill. I've not come, he says, to call the righteous, the self-righteous, the people who think they're all right. I've come to call the sinners who know they're not all right. It means before God, we are helpless. We, we cannot point to anything in ourselves that would make us acceptable to him. And the trouble is we, we are blind to our spiritual poverty. And the only way to see it is if God opens our eyes, opens our eyes to see him in his glory and his perfection. And only then will we see ourselves as we really are. And the Bible describes the moment when certain people um, see God in his holiness and realize their own spiritual poverty. Isaiah cries out, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. When Peter realizes 
who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he's right there in front of him. He cries out, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. To receive God's wonderful gift of the kingdom, we need to first admit that we are spiritually poor. Secondly, we need to be prepared to ask for help. And to ask God for help with your spiritual poverty is to admit that you have no alternative. It's to say, I can't live without God in control of my life. I can't live my life my way. I'm physically, emotionally, and spiritually vulnerable. Everything that happens to me in my life depends on circumstances over which I have no control. I don't know what is best for me. I can't see into the future. Lord, I want to live my life your way. And once you admit you have nothing, once you're prepared to ask for help, you gain everything. Um, Because you're given the kingdom and all the blessings that go with that. Let's go on to the second beatitude, because this is uh, quite similar in many ways to the first. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn their sin will find true comfort in Jesus. It's possible to accept the truth about ourselves without it actually affecting us um, emotionally. Followers of Jesus don't just accept that they are sinners. They mourn it. It pains them. As John Stott said, confession is one thing, but contrition is another. We saw that with Isaiah and Peter, didn't we? When we looked at the book of Ezra last year, do you remember we we read how Ezra not only prayed and confessed on behalf of his people, he wept. He threw himself down before the house of God. And as he did so, we read, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered round him. They too wept bitterly. But this verse says, those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. So how do we receive comfort when we mourn our sin? Let's go back to Isaiah 6. Um, as Isaiah realizes um, that he's in front of the Lord God Almighty, he realizes his own sin. What happens then? Which says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah didn't have to do anything about his sin because God himself atoned for it. God took away his guilt. The way he did it ultimately was by sending Jesus into the world to atone for our sin through his death on the cross. The greatest comfort we receive when we mourn over our sin is for it to be taken away. For the guilt that is is eating away at us to be dealt with, for it to be forgiven so that we can die to sin and be raised to new life in Jesus. But once our sin is forgiven, does that mean we stop mourning? In one sense, yes, because all of our sins have been dealt with, past, present and future. We don't need to worry about that anymore. But in another sense, no, because there is actually a positive side to mourning as well, isn't there? When someone we love dies, our mourning, our grief shows just how much we love them. It shows a sensitivity of our soul. And it's the same with sin. Before we 
die and go to be with Jesus, although we've been forgiven for our sin, still lives on in us. We still commit sins. And the, the closer we come to God, the more aware we are of those things. Maybe before we were just aware of those big problems, those big faults and failings in our lives. But as we come closer to God, now we're aware of all those little things which displease God. And we just want to be rid of them. And so we come to God and we ask that through the power of his spirit, he would continue to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We also become more aware of the effect of sin on the world around us. We see the brokenness all around. And instead of turning a blind eye to it and saying, well, that's their problem, we're filled with grief, we're filled with compassion, and we reach out and try and help those in need. And that will cause us further pain, um, because people may not accept their need for help, they may continue in their destructive behavior. But as we do that, we're following the example of Jesus. He looked at this broken world with all its sin and its pain, and instead of simply washing his hands of it, he entered it, and he gave people a way out of it. But many rejected him. And as he looked to Jerusalem, he, he mourned. He, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. But as we come to the end, let's finish with some great words from Isaiah, which we heard read out earlier from David. Because here we hear the, the great blessing for those who would accept Jesus, who want to become part of his kingdom. Jesus came to help all those who have been affected by sin. Whether their own sin or the sinful acts of others towards them. He came to heal those with hurts and the hang-ups. He came to release those who have become slaves to destructive habits. Let me read these verses for again from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let's pray. Lord God, as we see you in all your glory, in all your holiness, we are aware of our sinfulness, our unworthiness, and we are also filled with an amazing wonder that you should even care about us. And yet we praise you that 
Jesus did come down into this earth. He came to deal with our sin. That we didn't need to continue to to wrestle with it. But he came to atone for it. To take away our guilt. To take away our pain. To take away the penalty we deserve. Nobody do pray for any here who may not yet have asked for your forgiveness. Who may not yet have submitted to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We pray you would make them aware of their need for you. Take away that pride and cause them to come to you in that need. And Lord, where we have already come, Lord, we continue to mourn our ongoing sin. We pray you would continue to rid us of that sin. Make us aware of it. Help us keep coming to you. That in your power, your spirit would make us more into the likeness of Christ. Help us to enjoy all the many blessings that you promised us to enjoy what it means to be part of your kingdom. The kingdom of heaven itself. Thank you for the joy you give us instead of mourning. Thank you for that crown of beauty instead of ashes. And we look forward to all the many blessings that we uh, have in store for us on that day when Jesus comes again. In his name we pray. Amen.